Included Podcast starts right now. And hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the Azure Butic Show podcast. Dan, special show. It's going to be called our Football Frenzy podcast. We will be releasing this show each and every Friday throughout the course of the NFL season. Yeah, and this is a show, in case people aren't familiar with the Azure Butic history, this is a show we're bringing back from our high school days at Syosset High School. It was actually called the Game Day Blitz, but we're going to have very similar. Of course, WKWZ Syosset, but very similar uh, segments we're going to have. And we're adding our producer. Jake Chernock, his four down segment, which is going to be a lot of fun, which is just bits and pieces from week one or the previous week or things lo- looking into leading into the next week of the NFL season. So I- I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. And of course, when we bring back the game day blitz program, we're bringing back our pigskin pick'em segment. We will break down the key matchups of the week, the Jets-Giants games, the Monday night and the Sunday night games. We'll each get our own wild card pick and we'll keep track throughout the season and see how well we do or how bad we do, depending on what type of year it is for us. And We'll find out who's better at picking the games with the spread, of course. And we're also on the show going to be breaking down the key matchups throughout the week, the key injury news, the um, of course, the latest headlines. Right now, of course, the Ray Rice situation. But we're going to be doing a lot of different things on the show. Another really cool, interesting thing we will be doing is we're going to have live interviews with some of the biggest names in the industry. Last year, we had guys like Ian Eagle, Sal Palantonio, Damian Woody come on the program to break down the NFL. Now, in season, we're looking to get even uh, more – even more guests that can come on and really provide some positive insight to the program. And, of course, we want to hear from you. We're going to be taking callers later on throughout the semester. We're going to be breaking it all down with you guys out in the audience, and we would love to hear from each and every one of you. It should be a great NFL season, and uh, I'm happy you know we have the opportunity, the Football Frenzy Show. I'm very excited. It's going to be a great time, but, Dan, obviously, before we get into some of the other matchups, we'll start with the two local teams. And, of course, the Giants had a horrific Monday Night Football season opener uh, almost a week ago against the Detroit Lions. And where do they go from here? They obviously are now at home. They're taking on the Arizona Cardinals, and they're actually two-and-a-half-point underdogs at home against this Cardinal squad. Well, what it comes down to is on the offensive side of the ball. What are the Giants going to do offensively to improve? Obviously, first-year system with McAdoo's offense – And we saw in the preseason, it didn't seem like anyone was on the same page. It didn't seem like Eli Manning knew where his receivers were going to be. It didn't seem like he was having trouble reading defenses coming out of the new offense. And uh, you just didn't see the continuity that we saw Eli have, you know, in in Gilbride's offense over the last, what, 10 years. So I think there's a definite learning curve there. It was just brutal to watch the Giants on Monday night. I mean, they could not move the football. With under 200 total yards of offense, they couldn't even eclipse that. Eli Manning only had 163 passing yards, only threw for one touchdown, did throw two interceptions. Then you look at Victor Cruz, his number one receiver out there, because, of course, the Giants are very depleted at the wide receiver position and the offensive line position. They don't give enough time for Eli to sit back there and really get comfortable. He's constantly on the run, constantly trying to make plays with his feet, and Eli Manning is not the type of quarterback where when the pocket breaks down, he can make plays with his feet. So the Giants are really struggling, obviously, and it's not just one game, Dan. You mentioned it. The preseason they struggled. We saw it in person against the Jets. We were at that game at MetLife Stadium, and the Giants, ever since they installed this new offense, have really been struggling. A lot of it is obviously the personnel, and then you start up a new offense. 
after you fire Kevin Gilbride, who's been with the organization for over 10 seasons. So you, Eli Manning is going to have to make a lot of adjustments, and it's just a big question mark whether or not he has the personnel. He has Victor Cruz, but even Victor Cruz, is, Victor Cruz excuse me, as great as he is, he only has one touchdown in his last 13 games. Which is unbelievable. I mean, we remember Victor Cruz jumped on the scene a couple of years ago, and he was scoring touchdowns left and right for the Giants in the Super Bowl well, season, even the season after. Victor Cruz had three touchdowns in the opening game of last season, week one of last season against Dallas. Since that point on, he's only had one touchdown That's since. unbelievable. So Victor Cruz has only scored one touchdown in his last 13 NFL games. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable, but when you talk about Eli Manning and the way this offense struggles, it starts with that offensive line. I mean, awful. Awful pass protection for Eli Manning. He really, you, Jake, you, you, you hit a great point just a minute ago. No time for Eli to make plays in the pocket in a new offense with personnel he's not used to. It's just, it, it writes itself up for an offensive disaster in 2014 for the Giants. Absolutely. And another problem with this Giants team is they, against the Lions and throughout the preseason, they really haven't been able to run the ball that well. Like Rashad Jennings has showed signs that it could be a solid back, but when you don't have an offensive line, oh, yeah. you're asking too much from your running backs to be able to get positive yardage on each play. And we're getting back to Eli Manning, a lot of people are trying to say Eli Manning could be on the downside of his career. I'm not ready to say that. The guy's a two-time Super Bowl MVP. His brother's 38 years old and still dominating the NFL. Eli's only 33. So people making that point, I think it's a little bit too premature. I think part of it is obviously the new offense. We talked about that with the McAdoo, the new system that they installed. And Honestly, I think the biggest problem with the Giants is they're just not that good of a squad. They don't have the personnel to be able to compete with some of the better teams in the league. And listen, you, you talk about Peyton Manning. Eli's a fantastic quarterback. We've seen him win some great games, and I still think he's a really good quarterback. But Eli's the type of guy, you got to give him a line. You got to give him a, a solid running game. Like any quarterback, you know, I'm not not excluding Eli here, but you got to give him guys to throw to. Victor Cruz, maybe Victor Cruz isn't a number one. We've really never seen Victor Cruz be a number one receiver on a team. Remember, Hakeem Nix was here. Mario Manningham was here in his prime of his career when this team was winning a Super Bowl. I mean, now Victor Cruz is the guy on offense. Ruben Randall has to really step up. Well, the problem with Victor Cruz is Victor Cruz is a slot guy. And they're Pretty asking, much, and, yeah. And when your number one receiver is a slot guy, you're not always going to be able to put up points instantly. When I mean, you have unless guys you're like Wes Welker yeah. and Tom Brady. But even Wes Welker was a guy that, yeah, he was one of the best receivers on their team, but he wasn't their number one option. They would have, when the Patriots were going to those Super Bowls, they obviously had Randy Moss in 07, then of course they got Gronk and Hernandez for the other not Super Bowl sure. run they went on. But you look at these slot guys, and I don't know if a, a slot wide receiver could be your number one guy. You made the point about the Giants in previous seasons, of course they had Hakeem Nix, but you look at the guy they drafted, Odell Beckham Jr., and oh, we he's haven't injured. even seen him. And, yeah. you know, it's unfortunate that he got hurt. But that's a big loss for this Giants team. He was supposed to come in as a first-round pick and be a big-time contributor for this wide receiver position for the Giants. He was, and it, it's a shame we haven't even seen him on the field. I mean, he's got the hamstring issue from mini camps, from rookie camps back in uh, early June. We haven't even seen him practice. So who knows when Beckham Jr. is going to have any sort of impact with the Giants? Could not be till week eight or nine. And that's the biggest problem with this Giants team right now. They're in a situation where they really need to protect Eli Manning, get the running game going if they want to have a chance against the Cardinals. Yeah, and the Cardinals, uh, Cardinals are a nice team. They're a good They're team. A team it won 10 games last year. They're a nice team. They they're won 11 games 11 last year. games, yeah. excuse me. They're a team that could come in and really smoke the Giants. They are. And, you know, they're a team that won 11 games a season ago, didn't make the playoffs just because of how good that division is. Of course, they're in that division with the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. But you then you look around at this Cardinals team. Carson Palmer's not a great quarterback, but he's a decent quarterback. He had a nice game against San Diego the other night, had a nice fourth quarter. And, of course, the Cardinals come in 1-0. They're looking to start their season 2-0. But that's going to do it for our, our little preview on the Giants. Switching to the other New York team. Of oh, course, that sure. Being of course. The New York football Jets, who had a huge win over the Oakland Raiders. We could break down that game, but basically it was sloppy. The Jets got a win. Now the real test begins.
as they go into Lambeau Field on Sunday at 425 and take on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Yeah, and uh, for the Jets, they have to clean up the penalties. I mean, you know, nine penalties for what? Uh, 11, 11 penalties. penalties, excuse me. What, nine turnovers. in the first three quarters. You you're not going to beat the Packers. Uh, you know, you over 100 yards penalties. of penalties. It was brutal for the Jets. It was brutal. For the Jets. Well, the Jets dominated this they game. Dominated they dominated the game. They outgained them 400 uh, no, 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 no. to it was, it was, it was, But it was a game. It was agonizing to watch the fact that the Jets were dominating the uh, the Raiders, both offensively and defensively. And you know what? They almost had nothing to show And for. they almost had – and that's the worst feeling. You know, you smoke a team. Really. The game the – game, it could have been 24-0 for all we know. For, for all it could have been. When you look at the fumble that Geno had inside the 10-yard line. The terrible line. interception. So there's at least three or maybe even a touchdown right there. You look at the interception that just yeah. gave the Raiders a short field to set up another touchdown. So there's another seven points that you gave up to the opposing opposition. And then, of course, the play with Geno Smith getting sacked and getting taken out of field goal range. There's another three points. So all in all, the Jets probably gave up, you know, between... 17 to, or excuse me, between 14 to 17 points on Sunday against the Packers. Combining that with the penalties, they won't have a shot. That's just to win this football game. Not only do they need to protect Geno Smith, they need to get that running game going because that sets everything up. If that running game gets going again with Chris Ivory and Chris Johnson, you put Geno Smith in a position where he doesn't have to do it all by himself. You could run some play action. You can get some of the Jets' new guys involved. Get Decker involved. Get Jason Morrow involved. Jeff Cumberland had a nice first game. Get some of those guys involved, and then you really start to put put together. points and then of course stopping Aaron Rodgers is going to be a huge challenge for the secondary that's why you're going to rely on this number one defensive line of football and see if the Jets can go out there and put some pressure well, on they're Aaron Rodgers. Well, they're going to have to put pressure on Aaron Rodgers because you think Aaron Rodgers is going to do a, a, better, a, a great job of exposing this weak check secondary, unlike Derek Carr was able to do, but the Jets put a lot of pressure on Derek Carr. We will make him uncomfortable. He's a rookie quarterback. I think if you could get to Aaron Rodgers and try to make him uncomfortable, you might see the same thing, but I feel like Aaron Rodgers will do a better job of exposing that Jets defense, that Jets secondary, excuse me, but offensively, this is going to be Geno Smith's biggest test, Absolutely. I think, as a pro quarterback. Going into a hostile environment like Lambeau Field. I mean, I thought before this, when he went in last year to to the Georgia Dome and and beat up on the uh, Falcons on Monday Night Football, that was a tremendous effort. That was a big showing for him. He's going to need that sort of game if the Jets want to beat the Packers on Sunday. Absolutely, and then you mentioned the the Packers' dominance at Lambeau Field. Aaron Rodgers, particularly, he's won 28 of his last 31 starts at Lambeau Field. So for the Jets to go into Lambeau and win this game, they're going to have to play a near-perfect football game, especially with the depleted secondary. They're going to be getting D. Milner back on a limited basis most likely this upcoming Sunday for the game and you're not really sure what to expect out of him but I will say I've really liked the way Antonio Allen has stepped up and played he the corner position. great on Sunday. And Dewan Landry and Calvin Fryer and the safety positions the Jets have a lot of depth at safety probably the strongest group of safeties as Rex Ryan said since he's been the head coach of this team and you gotta like the way that the Jets have tackled or in the, even going back to the preseason they looked really sharp they looked great against the Raiders the Jets can win this game a lot of people were thinking it to be a huge upset because the Jets are actually eight point underdogs right now but after watching the Jets the way we do as both being you know religious diehard Jet fans, it really I it would, wouldn't be that big of a surprise to me because if the Jets could run the football effectively and against Seattle, um, you know against Seattle week one for the Packers team on that Thursday night opener of the NFL season. You know, the Seattle Seahawks really ran the ball down the Packers' Absolutely. throat. If the Jets are able to do that, and they should be able to with two outstanding backs in Chris Johnson and Chris Ivory, 
that can allow Gino to get comfortable, get settled in, and the Jets should be able to put up some points. I really think this game is going to come down to their defensive line against the Packers' offensive line. If the Jets can get some pressure and slow down Aaron Rodgers, their offense should be good enough to be able to score enough points to maybe put the Jets in a position late in the fourth quarter to be right there in the game. And the last thing the Jets want to do is get into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers because you're going to lose every time. If they, if, they, if they get into a situation where we're late in the, the game Jets and it's aren't a, shootout, built for a shootout, they're not built. No. They, and they had, they've never been built for a shootout since you know Rex Ryan's the been the head coach of this team. Jets are built to win essentially close games. Close they have, games. They have a, uh, right now we'll call him a game manager at the quarterback position, but Geno's still ascending, obviously. They have two outstanding running backs, a very good offensive line, and a defensive line that can get to the quarterback. If the Jets are in a game late, they're usually built well, look, well, to, they're historically under Rex. Yes, they're absolutely. built to win that game, when, and that's what needs yep. to happen if they want to win on Sunday. The Jets, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head, Jake. When the Jets win under Rex Ryan, it's they could be down by three headed into the fourth. That's the type of team they are, where if they're close late, they could strike and win the game. They can't get into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers. not going to have a shot. They need Geno to play an efficient game at the quarterback position. They can't have those mental mistakes where he chases them out of field goal range with a sack, that could cost you a game. Maybe it didn't against the Oakland Raiders, but against a team like the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field, that could cost you a game. You fumble it at your own five-yard, at uh, the opposing team's five-yard line, that could cost you a game. You know, you throw a tough interception at your own at your own 30 and you back your defense into your own territory, that could lose you a game. They, and they have to clean up on the penalties. The penalties like we talked about at the top, they need to clean up on those penalties. 11 penalties, that is way too much for this Jets team. And how many of those penalties weren't even converted by the by the by the Oakland Raiders, and those are opportunities that the Green Bay Packers will take advantage of. And obviously, the Packers do have Randall Cobb. They have Jordy Nelson. They have outstanding receivers. I mean, you can't compare them to the to the Oakland Raiders. No, and it's a, it's a totally different type of environment the Jets are going to be. But I think the Jets are good enough to win this football game. I I guess I it, yes, of course, it'd be an upset if they go into Green Bay and they do win. But if you look at the Jets and where they are right now, as long as Geno Smith can stay under control and doesn't have a meltdown and plays consistent as he's been able to you know do throughout the preseason and that kind of carried over into week one because Geno Smith in week one he was sharp 23 of 28 over 200 passing yards he had a quarterback rating close I mean, to 100 I mean outside of really well outside of some, a few yep. blemishes he was fantastic and that's what you expect he's still developing he's getting there that interception and the uh the fumble was a reminder that he's still developing but if he's able to clean that up a little bit and obviously Dan we keep talking about the penalties but if the Jets can clean that up even cut that by half they're in a situation where they probably are able to win win that football game on Sunday. But it's going to come down to their defense. The bottom line is, if they get pressure on Aaron Rodgers and slow him down, they put themselves in a situation to you know probably be in this football game. But if they don't get pressure on Aaron Rodgers, you open yourself up in that secondary to get lit up by Aaron Rodgers and those receivers. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see just how Geno handles that Lambeau field you know, that aura, that pressure of being playing at Lambeau Field. Luckily for the Jets, this isn't week 12 or 13 when it's freezing there and it's like an ice bowl down there, up there, excuse me, but it's early in the season. It's not too cold, and hopefully Gino will be comfortable enough to make throws and hopefully have a clean pocket. One thing I don't want to see, none of this wildcat garbage. With oh, Michael they ran Ray. it. Well, I think it was a joke it's when just, it came it, onto it's the just, field. It's so frustrating I mean, we to watch. saw Jake. Remember a couple years ago, we saw the same thing with Tim Tebow, and we laughed. We, don't, we laughed. We don't, we, they, 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 they don't need it. Like the, the Jet fans, we don't need to see Michael Vick be on the field well, you know what? and throw an incomplete pass no, to Eric Decker. The, the only thing is with that is they seem to, and they did it with Mark Sanchez and Tim Tebow, they would always take Mark out, and they did it last week with Geno, when he would complete three passes in a row, and he looked like he was getting into a groove. It takes your young quarterback out of or a rhythm. Or they, they put Geno in the slot. Or they oh, put it's, it's, it's just, garbage. It's, they don't it's need garbage. it. When the Jets are moving the football as they were on this past Sunday against the Oakland Raiders, they're in the inside the 10-yard line. 
Don't take the starting quarterback off the field. You have Eric Decker. You have Jeff Cumberland. You have Jason Morrow. You have Jeremy Curley. Those aren't bad options. And you have two outstanding running backs. Utilize them. None of this wildcat garbage. Because, uh, of course, it led to the fumble with Geno when Vic was in there. And, of course, you had the incomplete pass with Vic throwing to Decker, who was open. If Vic makes that throw, it's a touchdown. But it, it's just unnecessary. And I understand well, what the Jets are trying to do, trying to give a team a different look. But you got to show confidence in your quarterback. Don't take Geno Smith off the field. It's garbage. It's unnecessary. No team does this other than the Jets. I'm tired of watching it. And another thing that I really don't like about it is Michael Vick is a guy that when he's played, he started. He's not a guy that, that you know, other than a select few times early in his uh, uh, his Eagles, his career. Eagles yeah. career when when Donovan McNabb was still the quarterback, he would come in and do a little a little razzle-dazzle, you know, a little play option. Maybe he'll throw it. They, they would do that, line McNabb up as a receiver. But now at this point in his career after being a starter, it's tough for him to come in as an older quarterback cold and try to make it a, you know an accurate throw on the run to Eric Decker in the end zone. I mean, that's tough for a guy to do, especially at his age. So I don't think you're going to see that this Sunday. Geno Smith completed 82% of his passes this past Sunday against the Raiders. He was in a rhythm. He was sharp. You don't need to disrupt that rhythm I agree. and bring in Michael Vick. What if Michael Vick gets hurt? Then what do you do? If Geno struggles, who are you going to? Matt Sims. It's just, it's, yeah, Matt Sims. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? It's just completely unnecessary. It defeats the whole purpose of having a strong backup quarterback. We're going to bring in Vic. It's like the Jets are almost saying, didn't work with Tebow. Let's show our fans it can work with Vic. You don't need to. If Geno Smith is truly the guy, then Geno Smith is going to be this team's quarterback for years to come. You don't see Peyton Manning or Tom Brady ever coming off the field. Geno Smith doesn't need to be coming off the field either if he's in a rhythm playing well. I agree. I, I thought when we saw it the couple times last week, you know, we both watched the games, we had our heads down. I mean, it was the type of thing, and it brought back horrible memories of 2012 with Tim Tebow. Just give me enough horrible memories. I, I mean, no, but I brought back, I mean, that season, 6-10, and 10, but that's see with the Tebow and just how brutal that offense was. That Those are the type of horrid memories that came flashing in my mind when I saw Michael Vick come on the field and Geno Smith lined up in the slot. The only thing I could think of as far as why maybe they ran it a lot against the Raiders is because you know who the Raiders' offensive line coach is? Oh, Former Jets oh, offensive right. coordinator, Tony Sperano. Tony Sperano, right. I forgot they hired Tony Sperano. So maybe they tried to stick it to him. Hey, it worked. Either way, it still didn't work, and Tony Sperano was a horrendous or was a horrendous offensive coordinator for this team. Yeah. And he's lucky, honestly, after the season that Jets team had, he's lucky he's still in the league with how bad that, that Jets was offense brutal. was. I mean, that was one of the worst offenses I think the Jets had. I think ever in the had. history of the NFL. No, it, it was, was bad. It was awful. I mean, last year wasn't good either. And and that's what that's another point that I want to hit. Their offense was looks significantly oh, better. It's so much it's better. It's so much better. It's just it's great seeing some options to throw to where you know the names on the back of their jerseys. But you know what it starts at the quarterback position that and, too. A, and a confident oh, yeah. and just looking at Geno Smith compared to what he was last year at the beginning of the season to what he is now and his improvement, you can see it. When he stands in the pocket, how how much how much more confident he looks, how much more control he has, how he's going through all his progressions. He's not the quarterback that looked a little gun-shy that would get the ball, go through his first read and throw and hope for the best. He looks like a quarterback that's really settled in, and you see him develop, let the play develop a little bit more. And what I love about Geno Smith, and he started doing it at the end of last season, is he's using his legs a lot that's more. Right. When the play isn't there, he's not forcing a play. He's using his legs. He's rolling outside the pocket, and if he has to take off, he's willing to take off. The one thing I will say, though, is he needs to slide, protect the football, because we don't need Geno Smith getting hurt. Well, we saw him with a big run, took a big hit, didn't fumble, and then we saw him take a run at the at the five-yard line of the Raiders, and he fumbled and coughed it up, cost the Jets points. Derek Jeter's retiring. Do we need to bring in Derek Jeter to teach this guy how to slide? If you remember, actually, a couple years Joe ago, Girardi came Joe in. Girardi right. came in and taught Mark Sanchez how to slide. But you know, the point being is the Jets are in a situation where they can't afford one of these quarterbacks to get hurt, because if Geno goes down, 
down. Vic comes in. You know Vic's going to go down at some point. Yeah. Geno Smith needs to slide. If he's truly the long-term guy, this is a huge season for his development. Geno Smith needs to be out on the field. I do agree with you. His pocket awareness and his pocket presence so is, is much better. You, he, just see, you see it, the well, confidence the, he has it, it, in the You know what? And there's, there's, there's something that Mark Sanchez had at time, but he never really— When that football left Geno Smith's hands on Sunday, even when he got picked off— he was confident throwing the football, you know, and that's something we didn't see out of Mark Sanchez late, late in his tremendous. career with he the Jets. He completed eighty-two percent of his passes. Well, that helps. Mark the, Sanchez never did that. As a Mark Jets. Sanchez never had that look, and I'm not saying Geno's going to be an all-time great. And I'm not. I'm not trying to trash Mark Sanchez because Mark Sanchez did lead the Jets to two AFC Championship games. I'm not taking anything away from Mark Sanchez, but when Mark Sanchez threw the ball, it didn't seem like he ever threw it with confidence, even when he would complete it. They, they, he never threw it with never that got authority. The that Mark Abs- was in a zone. No, you're right. Where Geno Smith the other. Day and even against even in that a great example was that third preseason game against the Giants. Yep. Where that was the but the, obviously the third preseason game is the game that is most like an NFL game, most like a regular season it's the football rehearsal. game. It's the dress rehearsal. The dress rehearsal, exactly. And he played really well that game too. And we said it when we were watching from the stands, how confident he looked in the pocket. You just see him go through his progressions, be able to step up. He has a feel for where everyone on the field is. He looks like a different quarterback out there. And you look and you know, he looks like the quarterback that was the last the, the quarterback of the guy that was you know, the quarterback for this team went the last four games of the season a year ago. He carried over in the offseason, carried over through the preseason, and through week one, Geno Smith looks like a lot different than he did a year ago. I mean, you can't take away that he completed 82 of his passes last week. I mean, you know, he did make some few mistakes that he will, you know, hopefully you hope and you hope going through the course of his second NFL season he will clean those up and he's going to have to five on Sunday. That's incredible. Well, and one was a pick, but mm-hmm. he's going to have to clean those up, especially for Sunday against a team like the Green Bay Packers like we mentioned before. But, you know, it's nice to see him be able to complete a high percentage of his passes and bring the drive the de- Jets downfield, not dink and duck the Jets downfield like we've seen all these times. Really driving the Jets downfield, which I like to see. And one of the things we saw because of how well the running game was with Chris Johnson and, of course, Chris Ivory, who had that huge 72-yard touchdown run, was the incorporation of the play action. And Mark Sanchez, give him credit, he was great at play action, too, as a member of the Jets. Geno Smith, when he gets going and using that play action, he's really good at disguising the play, and he has good timing, and he's able to put that ball where it needs to be. And he was really impressive on those long sideline type of throws. He hit Eric Decker a couple times. He hit Jeff Cumberland over the middle with a beautiful touch pass through three guys over the middle. Should have had Greg Salas for a great touchdown. Yeah, and one of Geno's first throws in that first drive should have been a touchdown to Greg Salas. So this is a Jets team that played really well against the Raiders. They made their mistakes. They should have won, obviously, a lot more than what they did. We mentioned it earlier. The Jets outgained the Raiders 402 to 158 in yardage. So the Jets were in a situation where... where if, you com- look, if you look at that stat alone, you would think the Jets beat them by 40 points. Yeah, you, thought, you would think the Jets dominated the football game. But we talked a lot about this offense, but once again, before we wrap up and we go to some other games, it's going to come down to the Jets' defensive line against this Packers' offensive line. Because as great as Geno can play, if Aaron Rodgers has himself a day, we don't know if this Jets' offense is good enough to be able to score 35 points we think that they could score 24 points and be right there in the game to the end but it's on this Jets defensive line with a weak secondary to be able to step up and get to Aaron Rodgers and make sure that he doesn't go off and put up 35 points on this defense how are the Jets going to be able to get to Aaron Rodgers and how's Rex going to approach this defense with a weak secondary but a great quarterback you know it was a little different last Sunday because you were able to bring more of a blitz because it was a rookie quarterback you weren't sure how he was going to read these young Jets secondaries you know how Aaron Rodgers is going to do against these young secondaries if you're bringing that all-out blitz. So I think it's going to be an interesting day to see how the Jets blitz and how they get to, to Aaron Rodgers and how they try to put him on his butt. No question about it. And now what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of the other games throughout the week. Then we're going to come back. We're going to do Jay Chernock's first four-down segment of the new semester here at Ithaca College. And then we're going to make our picks, the pigskin pick But first, 
Dan Budick is going to read off this week's Week 2 schedule for the NFL. All right, so obviously it's, it's recorded tonight, 9-11. So we have Baltimore, Pittsburgh. I mean, what a week it's been for the Baltimore Ravens in the National Football League. We touched upon that last time. But, of course, you know, how coincidental and how storyline is it that after all going on with the Oakland Raiders, they are playing the first Thursday night football game on CBS. At home, I mean. Uh, against their rival. Yeah, I mean, the distractions that the Ravens have had to deal with throughout this week. I would be Brutal. very surprised. Obviously, we're recording this show before the game happens and will be released tomorrow. However, if the Baltimore Ravens were to win this game tonight, I'd be very surprised. I just think, they, what a tough week they've had. I mean, that is one of the, I mean, it, it probably couldn't have gone slower for if you're a Baltimore Raven and Coach Harbaugh and and this, and this you know, and Ozzie Newsome in the, in the front office of the Baltimore Ravens with everything they had to deal with. I mean, it seemed like they that Monday was so long ago where everything came out with the new video and cutting Ray Rice. I mean, it's just been a hell of a week for them. I mean, I don't even know what else to say. We we broke down this uh, yeah, Ray I Rice mean, situation brutal. on the podcast. Obviously, it's still a developing story with today, the NFL announcing that they hired a former FBI investigator to see how the handling of the investigation, see how the handling of the evidence went. We'll see. It's a whole production. Uh, to be continued, I'm sure we'll have plenty of more right here on the Azure and Budic Show podcast, breaking down that horrendous, horrendous story surrounding the National Football League. So, we got Detroit at Carolina. Uh uh, Cam Newton back in the starting lineup. He will be playing quarterback for the Panthers on Sunday. Then we have the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. A nice little divisional matchup Field right the there. AMC East matchup. And oh, it's quickly, great. how about the Bills? Huge upset over the Chicago Bears on the road. They played a heck of a football game. Yeah, tremendous football game that they played. And for them to get out of there with a win was extremely impressive. And then obviously the Dolphins, talk about them for a second, they went, they were at home to start their season, and they put Tom Brady on his ass many, many times. They and really did. And that huge, is the, huge victory How did the team. Jets Ever beat Tom Brady? Got to got to put him on his butt. That's the other way. So that was a tremendous win by the Miami Dolphins. Yep, you got uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Washington Redskins. That's a doozy, of course. <laughs> you got uh, the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Titans in Tennessee, and then a game we're going to touch on with the Pigskin Pickums later on. You got the Cardinals coming into the Meadowlands. They're taking on the Giants. You have the Patriots looking for their first win of this season. They're sitting at the bottom of the AFCs for the first time in the Tom Brady era. They're at uh, Min- they're at Minnesota. They're taking on the Minnesota Vikings, and you have New Orleans at Cleveland. That should be a doozy. You, get, you finally see uh, you see um, Johnny Manziel in front of that home crowd and how they're going to react to uh, Hoyer playing quarterback. Well, you would think if New Orleans goes in there and plays their game, that they should be in a situation where they should be up in that fourth quarter. And maybe you see Johnny the football. Fan, the fans are going to be chanting for Johnny Manziel. Let's see if it happens. You got Atlanta at, you got Atlanta at Cincinnati, St. Louis at Tampa Bay, Seattle at San Diego. I'm actually very interested in that game because San Diego is coming off, obviously, a very tough loss to the Cardinals. Should have won. They really should have won. They should have won that football game. Seattle, obviously, is a dominant football team when they're at home. They're still a great football team on the road. However, it's going to be interesting to see if San Diego, playing in front of their home fans, can maybe pull up an upset. We'll see. Yep, yep. You got Houston, their home. Uh, you got, uh, excuse me, Oakland, their home opener. They're coming off, obviously, we just talked about the loss against the New York Jets last week. They're taking on the Houston Texans. Then, obviously, the game we talked about before, we're going to talk about it later on with the Pigskin Pickums. You got the Jets traveling to Green Bay to take on the Packers. And then you have the Kansas City Chiefs in Denver taking on the Broncos. Sunday night, you got the Chicago Bears at the 49ers in San Francisco. And then, obviously, Monday night, you wrap up the week. You got Philadelphia in Indianapolis. Bunch of good games this week. Really a bunch of good games. Conference we'll, matchups. We'll be watching the NFL Red Zone, of course, with all the 1 o'clocks. Then head over to Buffalo Wild Wings to check out the New York 
football. Jets taking on obviously a big time matchup. It's always fun seeing the Jets play at four twenty five. I like the four four o'clock games because obviously there's so many different games going on during the one o'clock hour. There's much more games than there are at the four. You can enjoy it, sit down, you watch it. Your team gets to play at four. I'm a fan of the four o'clock games. I know Dan, you said in the past that you do like the one o'clock. I, I like the one o'clocks better. I'm a fan of I'm a fan of when my team is at four o'clock because then I can enjoy the other games first. That's true because when your team loses at one o'clock, you're miserable during those four o'clock. Games. You don't want to watch the other games. No, you don't want it. No, yeah. so Especially it, then you see the Patriots if they're playing at four o'clock and they're smoking whoever they're playing and yeah, that's not. I I see what you're saying, but I always prefer those one o'clock games. Waking up at like eleven thirty, getting ready for those one o'clock games in an hour and a half. I don't, nothing better. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take our first break of the Football Frenzy podcast. When we come back, we're debuting a new segment this week's Four Downs with our producer, Jake Chernock. Back right after this. Now it's time for Four Downs with Jake Chernock. Starting off on first down, if the New England Patriots fall to 0-2 on the season on Sunday when they visit the Minnesota Vikings, they will be winless in their first two games of a season for the first time since 2001. A guy named Tom Brady was the starting quarterback in week three after Drew Bledsoe was injured in a week two loss to the New York Jets. Speaking of second down now, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Cordell Patterson became third player since 1950 to run for more than 100 yards with three or fewer carries when he rushed for 102 yards and a score on three carries last Sunday. He joined Brian Mitchell and Ken Carpenter in the exclusive club. Now on third down, the Lions defeated the Giants on Monday in each team's season opener, 35-14, and Detroit outgained New York 417-197. It was the Lions' largest margin of victory in the opener since they defeated the Rams 41-20 in Los Angeles in 1980, and their largest margin of victory in, the, uh, in an opener played at home since they downed the Steelers 45-7 at Tiger Stadium in 1962. Now on fourth down, the Dallas Cowboys trailed by 25 points at halftime of their season opening loss to the San Francisco 49ers. That doesn't bode well for America's team. There have been 847 teams in NFL history to finish a season with a winning record. Of those, only two trailed by more points at halftime of their season opener than the Cowboys did on Sunday, the 1989 Steelers and the 1991 Lions. With this week's four downs, I'm Jake Chernock. You are listening to the Asman and Butte podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Great stuff right there from our producer, Jake Chernock. A very fun and exciting package that we're going to be using throughout the entire semester with the Football Frenzy podcast that we're going to be doing every week. Jake did a fantastic job right there, and I think uh, it's going to be a great thing to look forward to each and every week. Absolutely. This gives us an opportunity to plug our social media as well. You can follow us on Twitter at, at the Asman Budic Show. That's Asman Budic Show, of course. And then you can also find us on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to the page. And if you can't get on iTunes, you can go over to ictv.org slash and you can take a look at all our shows, not just the one you're listening to right now, but all previous ones are on there as well. Yeah, ones from last semester. We had some great guests on. So, And it should be, like we said earlier, we're going to have more guests throughout the duration of the semester with more guests on Football Fridays. Absolutely. And, Dan, that brings us to one of our favorite parts of the show, something we haven't talked about yet, the Mark Weber game of the week, the MW game of the week. This, this goes back to our high school days in ninth grade. Um, Mark Weber was the sports director up at WKWZ Syosset on Long Island where we went to high school. And we would always do our show with him every week. And when he graduated after our freshman year of high school, went off to Syracuse, now is working for ESPN, we would dedicate one of our pigskin pick'em games 
to Mark Webber. That was, and the game, the catches, though, Dan, and of course you know, the game is just an irrelevant game. An irrelevant game could be a blowout game, could be you know the best team in the league versus the worst team, or two awful teams playing out against each Basically other. Basically a game either no one cares about, a game that's going to be a blowout, any game that we just think is deserving of being the MW, the Mark Weber game of the week. And this week's game, Dan and I have discussed it. We sat down, we thought long and hard about what were we going to do. We looked at the schedule, and this game is at 1 o'clock at FedEx Field. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars. Taking on the Washington Redskins. That's your MW Game of the Week. And it is irrelevant. The Jaguars, you know, played well at times last week against the Eagles, but blew a 17-point lead that will have 3,400 points. Mark Webber, number one. And then the Mark Webber, number two, my number two team, you have the Washington Redskins, who were atro- worse than the Giants offensively last week. So that is your Mark Webber Game of the Week. The Redskins are atrocious. And then Jacksonville Jacksonville could be a good team in a couple of years, depending on how Blake Bortles develops. But until Bortles is the starting quarterback, we're not going to be talking about the Jacksonville I mean, Jaguars a lot on this show. And if you just look at this schedule this Sunday, you have the game tonight, you have the game Monday, Sunday night, this is that game that you say, wow, I won't watch. So that's this week's Mark <laughs> Webber Game uh, of the Week. And before we get to the Pigskin Pick'ems, we're going to take one more break. The Pigskin Pick'ems are coming up next. Are you ready? This week's Pigskin Pick'ems starts right now. First game we're talking about, Jake, the Arizona Cardinals traveling to the New York Giants to face the Giants at MetLife Stadium. Giants are two-and-a-half-point dogs at home. You know, I'm taking the Arizona Cardinals. I haven't seen anything from this Giant offense. We talked about it earlier. They looked in disarray. Victor Cruz and Eli Manning are not on the same page. The Giants' offensive line is all over the place. Injuries left and right, not doing a good job of protecting Eli. And the Arizona Cardinals' defense, way underrated. They're going to be able to get to Eli all day. Dan, I agree with you. I'm also taking the Arizona Cardinals. I'm going to lay the two-and-a-half points. I don't care if the Giants are at home. Once again, this Giants' offense has yet to prove anything so far in this new system. Eli Eli Manning has struggled, and the Giants have struggled protecting Eli Manning. I'm not quite sure against a very, very, very solid Arizona Cardinals defense if the Giants offense is going to be in a position to be able to put up enough points to be able to beat this team. And don't overlook this Arizona offense. They're good enough to be able to score some points on a very average Giants defense right now. JPP, Kiwanuka, those are guys that have to step up for the Giants to even have a shot. I still like the Cardinals. I'm taking them to go on the road and win the game outright. Yep, next game on the schedule that we're going to talk about. We brushed on it earlier when we were reviewing the games. The Jets traveling to Green Bay, to Lambeau Field, to face the Packers. The Jets are eight-point dogs on the road. I'm going to take the Jets to cover the spread. I think they're good enough to cover the spread. I don't know if I see Geno Smith going to Lambeau Field this early in the season after Green Bay's 10-point, 10-days-off uh, layaway after losing opening night to Seattle on the road. They're going to come home, and they're going to play hard, but I think the Jets are going to cover that spread. I agree with you, Dan. I'm also taking the Jets. I think that I don't know if the Jets are necessarily going to win the game, but based on what we talked about earlier in the show, I think they can compete in the game. If they're able to run the football effectively, if they're able to protect Geno Smith, and if they're able to get some sort of a pass rush on this Packers offensive line and get to Aaron Rodgers, the Jets should be good enough to stay within a touchdown. And it's eight points. I'm taking the Jets, getting the eight points to cover on the road against the Green Bay Packers. And Dan, switching to prime time now, Sunday night football, Bears, 49ers. The Bears are actually seven-point underdogs going on the road to San Fran. And you know what? I'm going to take the Bears. I think they're in desperation mode. They lost their first game um, of the season to the Bills at home in a big upset. I think the Bears played with a lot of desperation. They're able to make this game close. I don't know if they win the game, but 
I think Jay Cutler and Matt Forte are good enough to be able to compete with this 49ers team and stay within a touchdown. You know, Jake, I'm going the other way. I'm taking the Niners to cover that spread at home, Levi Stadium, Santa Clara, California. I didn't like what I saw from the from the uh, from the Bears last week against the, uh, you know a, an average team in the Buffalo Bills. They just looked all over the place. I did not like what I see out of Jay Cutler. He was throwing it across body. Really didn't look like he knew what was going on. You saw Brandon Marshall had trouble holding on to the football. I'm taking the 49ers. Coming off a win, opening day, obviously, against the Dallas Cowboys. I'm taking them to cover that 7-point spread. Monday night football time now. Eagles are at the Colts. Very good football game. Two solid quarterbacks. But I'm still going to go with the Indianapolis Colts. I think coming off a tough loss against the Denver Broncos to open up their season, they're going to have that sense of, des of desperation, trying not to be 0-2. They're laying three points, but I think that's fine by me. I'm taking Andrew Luck. I think that this Indianapolis Colts offense should be able to put up some points, just like the Jaguars did on that Eagle defense a week ago. So I'm taking the Colts. I think they're a good enough team to to you know, take care of this Eagles team. LeSean McCoy will probably have a nice game, but this Indianapolis Colts defense hopefully is good enough to make a couple stops and stop Nick Foles in that Philly offense. I agree, Jake. I'm taking the Indianapolis Colts. I did not like what I saw out of the Philadelphia Eagles. I know they scored 34 unanswered points in the second half. Fantastic. But they put themselves in a huge 17-0 hole, and if they do that against Indianapolis, there's no chance they're coming back. I agree with you, Dan. Now getting to our wild card picks. And for those who don't know, we each pick a game that we like to go addition to the Jets, Giants, the Sunday night, and the Monday night. My game this week for my wild card selection is the Patriots at the Vikings. I'm taking the pass. They're only giving three on the road. I think the Patriots are to go in there motivated, trying not to be 0-2. They're in a situation where they haven't been 0-2, as you heard Jake Chernock say, since Drew Bledsoe was the starting quarterback for that team years ago in 2001. So I'm taking the pass. I think Tom Brady and Bill Belichick will be good enough to go into Minnesota and stop a Vikings team. And the Vikings, a lot of people are high on them, but they, they beat a very bad St. Louis Rams team in week one. Of course, St. Louis was down to their third-string quarterback in that game. I like the Patriots to go on the road, cover the spread, and win the game outright. Yeah, I'm taking my wild card game to Oakland, California. I'm taking the Oakland Raiders to, to win the game, cover the three-point spread against the Houston Texans. I'm taking the Raiders at home. So, Dan, that's going to do it for this week's Pigskin Pickums. Just to review one more time, I'm taking the Jets plus eight. I'm taking Arizona minus two and a half. I'm taking the Bears plus seven, the Colts minus three, and the wild card, Pats minus three. So, again, Dan Budick, I got the Giants falling. I got the Arizona covering that spread. I got the Jets covering the spread The spread on the road. At my, my Sunday night game, I have the San Francisco 49ers covering and winning that game. I have the Indianapolis Colts covering winning that game. Wild card game. I have Houston as an underdog winning that. I have, excuse me, Oakland as an underdog winning that game at home at the Oakland Alameda. So that's this week's Pigskin Pickums. And Dan, it was a lot of fun. We're going to be doing it again next week. Next week, we're looking to get the audience involved. We're going to be taking some phone calls. We're hopefully going to get some big-time guests come on the show. And, you know, where we go from here, who knows? It's going to be a great semester. The Football Frenzy Podcast is officially back. And I, it's exciting to have it back, you know, in the spring, we started with the Asman and Budic show. Now we finally get some football pig scene going on. It's going to be a lot of fun. But once again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. One more time, if you can find us on Twitter at the Asman Budic Show. That's Asman Budic Show on Twitter. You can also find us on iTunes at Asman, the Asman Budic Show, of course. And if you can't get to us on iTunes, once again, check us out on ictv.org slash Asman and Budic. For Dan Budic, I'm Jake Asman, and producer Jake Chernock saying so long. Podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.